Hello, and welcome to another episode of Electrifying AI. Our mission in these podcast series is to provide a venue for our clean energy enthusiasts to gain up-to-date insights on what's taking shape in the industry. In the process, we will help demystify the connection between the greatest machine ever built, the electric grid, and the greatest enabler of our time, data analytics. Now, to help us do that, we'll have a series of guests throughout these episodes who come from a diverse array of roles in the industry to help share with us some sentiments, some thoughts on, on what's, what's, what are the latest happenings in, in the industry. And for today's episode, we're very pleased to have one of our own. Uh, my colleague, Dr. Joe Nyangan, is a senior industry consultant for Power and Utilities Innovation right here at SAS. He joined SAS recently, and uh, we're very excited to have him. Joe brings with him more than 15 years of experience in the energy sector, having previously been a, post, uh, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Delaware Center for Energy and Environmental Policy. And he was also a consultant at the United Nations in New York and is also a TED Fellow. Joe, it is such uh, a great feeling to have you with this and be, being able to finally do this with you. Uh, we've been having various sorts of engagements um, uh, throughout the short time you've been here at SAS. And we would love to first start off by understanding uh, what just happened last week. You know, some major developments uh, uh, we heard in the news from, from Joe Biden and team about, uh, you know, climate change and some of the latest commitments uh, that have come up. So start us. Why don't we start there? Help us. Help us. Please shut some more light into what these developments are and what they may mean for us. Thanks a lot, Sal. Thanks for that introduction. Yeah, so we've had really incredible uh, happenings in the recent uh, days. Uh, so President Biden has just made an announcement uh, pledging to reduce U.S. carbon emissions in half by the end of this decade mm -hmm. compared to 2005 levels as well as aiming to increase uh, net uh, zero greenhouse gas emissions no later than 2050, which is actually twice a pledge from President Obama in 2015. So wow. this is already That's very big. incredible. Now, there are many facets of this pledge that uh, make it stand out. First mm -hmm. is that it actually sends a strong signal to the rest of the world that mm. America is back and is actually prepared to work on climate change. And second is that it actually formally brings together the administration's whole of the government approach by ensuring that climate considerations are incorporated across U.S. engagements domestically, but also abroad in many different ideas, mostly targeting asset-intensive uh, uh, industries. Now, the other thing is that it also aligns budgets as well as federal regulatory policy and to some extent, align some of the disparate actions which have, you know, been uh, identified not just at the federal level but also at the state level in order to drive the net zero uh, transition as well as adaptation to climate change. And just lastly, Sal, on that is that uh, this goal is also in line or even higher than what uh, a group of corporations, including a number of, you know, notable uh, companies mm -hmm. like Ford. Uh, Pfizer, Shell, Facebook, and even uh, Amazon ask uh, for in a letter that they penned to the administration. And uh, now this pledge is a big deal and it actually shows real momentum. You know, it is what is known under the Paris uh, Climate Agreement as mm -hmm. NDC, which is Nationally Determined uh, Contribution, which 
although it's an, unbind, it's an unbinding pledge that countries are required to make to the rest of the world to stop the global uh, warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius, it, it actually highlights the immediate effort that each country, as well as signatory to the Paris uh, Agreement, needs to make to transform their energy systems, as well as to reduce emissions at rates which have never been seen before in history. Mm-hmm. Now, the other aspect of this initiative is that uh, it actually focuses on revitalizing the transportation sector. Now, mm. transportation is currently the largest source of direct greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. Mm. Uh, at approximately 29%, mm. having actually surpassed electricity sector in 2016. Now, wow. as a result, this kind of initiative uh, is actually very comprehensive uh, in terms of the various areas that it identifies, which are primed for greenhouse gas reductions. Key among these being, for instance, uh, reducing emissions from buses, mm-hmm. uh, rail, as well as shipping, and even aviation. Mm-hmm. But the most notable one is how the administration is going to expand access to electric vehicles charging uh, stations, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well as making sure that these emissions have got really significant deep emission uh, reductions as well as targeting job creations and also creating healthier cities. So mm-hmm. there's actually a lot that's actually covered. Yeah. So this. so Joe, there's a there's a lot to unpack here, right? And it's it's certainly it touches um, not just the power industry, but like you're saying, it touches the transportation industry. And then you know within the transportation industry, there are such an ecosystem of players that the equation gets even larger. Now you know targets are great, and I know you've been doing this for 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 a long time. Tell about how how what needs to happen um, in terms of utilities uh, for for utilities to get to anywhere close to these targets, and I'm I, I want to understand uh, better from the perspective of you know utilities already have uh, conventional generation assets and as, as an example they may not be the most um, environmentally friendly in in today's terms. Uh, so you know how do they manage the risk even that comes with you know what do what do they end up doing with those types of assets in in such an environment where you know there are such aggressive goals? So give us some picture into how do utilities actually make this happen? That's a great question, Sal. And just some highlights, uh, or which are you know related to that, is that first is that cutting the nation's greenhouse gas emissions uh, at least fifty percent below mm-hmm. the two thousand five levels, like the way the administration has actually pledged is really a major uh, task because the reality is that we are going to uh, be required to put in significant measures to achieve this goal. Now, to put it into context, the U.S. current emissions were about 17% below 2005 levels uh, in 2020. Now, is that because of the pandemic or...? Now, that actually doesn't even take into consideration pandemic because I think pandemic... Yeah, pandemic kinds of, you know, uh, is not a good indicator or rather baseline to use since, mm. you know, it's not reflective of uh, the overall emissions trend. Interesting. Now, in the documents that the administration actually filed with the United Nations to illustrate its commitment, its new commitments with res- regarding uh, this pledge, these emissions will be cut to about 27% by the year 2025. Now, mm-hmm. that means reducing 10% of the current emissions in four years. Mm. Now, 
to understand what, what's ahead, it took us over 15 years from 2005 to 2020 to mm. achieve the 17% reduction in energy-related carbon emissions. That means that to achieve the 50% reduction in carbon emissions from 2005 to 2030, we actually need to reduce emissions three times faster. You mean 2021 to 2030, right? Yes. No, okay. it would be actually, no. If you, Now, if you take it back to 2005 to 2030, it would actually be three times actually faster Got it. than it has actually taken us to achieve this uh, before. Now, granted, you know, technology, economics, as well as policy environment has actually changed over the past decade. Now, also the good news we have is that the United States has a head start in this, in the sense that there has been significant changes from a levelized cost of energy perspective. If you look at what has happened, especially with solar, uh, solar has achieved a levelized cost reduction of nearly 90%, mm. wind nearly 70%, and uh, even uh, battery uh, storage uh, reduced its cost by nearly 85%. Now, we, this has actually made these technologies incredibly competitive to the point where actually the unsubsidized levelized cost for new wind as well as solar power plants are competitive with or less expensive uh, than the marginal operating and maintenance cost of existing coal as mm -hmm. well as nuclear. But for electricity, it, for the electric utilities, cutting emissions by half within a decade implies transforming the entire electricity system as well as interrelated sectors, you know, uh, including transportation, industry, as well as agriculture. Because the energy system impacts so many aspects of our mm -hmm. society. So a transition to net uh, zero would have profound implications well beyond climate and energy, including economic uh, competitiveness, uh, mm -hmm. employment creation, as well as so, improvement in health. Uh, so, so, so uh, Joe, sector. coming coming back to that piece of you know the 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 assets becoming or the the new assets becoming cheaper, you know what happens to the existing assets, right? What what what, what basically you know where do they go? Do they have any play? Yeah, so that, that's actually a good question because the most important uh, aspect of this transition that actually we need to, uh, I mean, focus on is getting it right. Because if mm -hmm. done right, transition means more or better jobs. It also means uh, uh, determine, determining how best to address the considerable number of uneconomical assets through responsible asset retirement. Now, that, for instance, entails... Uh, what are we going to do with the natural gas infrastructure that we have? Can we use this infrastructure, for instance, retool it for uh, green hydrogen transportation? Mm -hmm. Now, there is a lot of research which has been done in this area, which shows that it will need very little retooling in terms of cost to actually use the existing natural gas pipeline systems to transport uh, green hydrogen, which is actually uh, got from... Uh, uh, no, two, two main processes, either, you know, uh, electrolysis uh, uh, as well as uh, using solar and wind uh, power generation facility to help in that process. Uh, and also gasification where now we use gas. But I think the most important aspect is this, is how can we use the existing infrastructure retool it so that we make it, you know, economical in order to support some of the new clean energy generation facilities. And, and Joe, just to, um, 
I, I promise this will be my last uh, question on this point, but it sounds like there's also a lot of risk here too, right? For people that have yeah. invested into these conventional sources of energy, right? How, how can yeah. that risk be addressed? Now, two main aspects can be, you know, gleaned from that. One is climate risk, which mm. is what we are seeking to address. But the other aspect is the trans- transition risk, which mm. actually, you know, emerges as a result of how we address the existing uh, systems which have been in existence for a very long period of time. Now, stranded assets is a major concern in the electric power sector. Although assets have you know, traditionally, you know, been become stranded uh, with the impact of climate change as well as the transition from carbon intensive uh, generation facilities to more uh, low carbon inten- intensive energy sources. This process is actually hastening. And as a result, we are experiencing a number of changes in the sector. Take an example of coal, you know, coal power generation facility. In the past decade alone, nearly 550 coal-powered generation facilities have been retired with accumulated capacity of over 100 gigawatts. Now, that is significant. You know, now, the challenge, therefore, is what happens to the jobs that, you know, uh, existed in this uh, sector? Where have these jobs moved to? Mm -hmm. Now, the good news is that most of these jobs have been... uh, I mean, a number of jobs have been created created as a result of the growth in uh, solar as well as wind power generation facilities. And some of the people who worked in these jobs have gotten retrained Mm. to occupy these new jobs. So that's actually a positive side. But generally, there's risk that, you know, we need to address. This risk can be looked at uh, from a de-risking perspective in terms of what are we going to do to address some of these issues. And you, we can, you know, put in, for instance, I mean, consider a number of options. Uh, one being, you know, how can we use, for instance, analytics uh, to address the risks that are being created uh, as a result of the transition? Mm. How can we use policy innovations to address this risk? And then how can mar- the market, you know, respond to this risk from a supply as well as demand aspect in order to... Uh, uh, address some of these challenges which are being created in the process because so, so transitions Joe, we're, are um, yeah we're, we're you know we're analytics fans here right so sorry sorry to interrupt you but you just got me excited how can analytics play a role in um perhaps minimizing this risk uh somewhat for for the people or the stakeholders that are involved in this process so uh, analytics plays a very critical role uh the most important is improving on decisioning processes. Mm. So we have, you know, a number of, you know, uh, I mean, processes which are being uh, reconfigured, you know, in the transition process. So how can we use analytics to better discover these processes, discover the inefficiencies in the system, and also be able to uh, apply recommendations with respect to technologies which have been created elsewhere in order to address this risk? Now, that is very significant because it's going to help us, you know, uh, Mm. improve on decisioning much faster in order to identify these inefficiencies, but also to apply the right uh, uh, solutions in order to uh, address these challenges. 
Okay. Okay. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you, Joe, for, for providing us and enlightening our listeners, uh, with that wonderful explanation of what this is all about. Now, um, let's visit another topic. You briefly in the beginning talked about electric vehicles and, you know, clearly there are major, major, major tectonic shifts happening just alone in that space from manufacturers <laughs> committing, uh, to making, uh, fleets that are completely electric in a matter of, you know, a couple of years to the next five to seven years. Uh, you know, we have uh, other companies that are coming in. Uh, you know, we hear a lot about Tesla, but, you know, there's certainly another breed of new and entrepreneurial company, uh, entrepreneurial type companies coming up in the EV space. And um, likewise, the conventional uh, folks are wondering, you know, the, or the conventional car industry is wondering, you know, where, where does the future lie? And we're seeing, you know, commitments from GM. And I think I've seen now even from Honda, recently that, you know, they're all making these targets. Um, walk us through how how critical is it for the power industry to understand what these changes mean for them? Great question, Sal. Now, transportation, as I said, has mm-hmm. got very significant direct emissions related to it. You know, at nearly 29% emissions levels, that is going to be very significant. We really can't have any dent on the overall emissions unless we address what's happening at the trans- uh, transportation sector. Now, the challenge with the transportation is that in order to address uh, the emissions in, the, in this sector, the solution is actually more electricity. Mm. So, because, you know, that is... In order, so there's there's been a number of uh, you know research and papers written with respect to what is the role of electricity in all of this, and a number of you know researchers have come to the conclusion that electric electric sector is actually the linchpin in terms of how we are going to address emissions generally. So what it means is that uh, we have to come up with more innovative ways to generate cleaner energy sources. Mm in order to uh, address the transmission, I mean, the emissions uh, levels in the transportation, transportation sector. That means, for instance, you know, um, uh, making sure that the bus fleet are all, you know, electrified, the rail systems, you know, move towards more uh, electrified uh, sources of energy. The challenge is actually going to be in aviation, but in aviation sector, there is also a lot of research that is being done uh, with, for instance, you know, testing by fuels, you know, sources, how they, they are all in terms of uh, providing some of the uh, fuel sources in that, in that area. But overall, it's going to be how, for instance, the role that states are going to play, the role that utilities are going to play, and how that will be uh, aligned with the federal government role. Because alignment in terms of policy coherence is going to be very important mm-hmm. at the city level, at the in terms of the role that utilities are going to play from public utilities commission. What kind of policy uh, uh, coherence is going to come from public utilities commission? So, so it sounds like that the um, you know the, the one of the most efficient paths here may be just the you know large scale electrification of the transportation sector, and. Um, you know, clearly at the heart of this electricity sector are utilities, right? So it sounds like, you know, there there's going to be a, a renewed or continued interest 
and trying to understand how do they bring in these technologies, right? It's like, I don't, I don't think it's as easy of a matter that, you know, we can just have the entire country or the world become electric without, you know, thinking about what the impact of all those vehicles or charging, um, uh, charging points connecting to the grid, right? I, mm-hmm. you know, it, it gets into sort of this low demand uh, type equation. So, uh, please give us some words on, you know, how how critical would it be um, to ensure the planning piece of this, and and by planning, you know, the perhaps how do people forecast where these things are going to come mm-hmm. up, and then you know maybe how analytics also fits into that as well, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. So analytics is going to play a critical role from electric charging infrastructure and siting uh, because the challenge is that, for instance, uh, solar as well as wind, uh, traditionally where you know the mapping which has been done across the country, they are always uh, the places where we find higher capacity for these energy sources are always far flung, you know, places far removed from the traditional residential uh, places. So what it means is that how can we come up with a more comprehensive planning approach that is more tailored towards uh, matching where the sources for, for instance, clean energy is going to come from Mm -hmm. and where the consumption is going to be greatest. Now, that is going to require, for instance, analytics in order to uh, help us do that and also coming up with uh, uh, strategies that can be able to uh, align some of these in um, a number of initiatives which are being uh, you know, implemented, be they related to microgrids infrastructure, smart grid development, as well as addressing some of the transition constraints mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the process, as well as you know, areas to do with, for instance, transmission capacity expansion. As those mm-hmm. take place, they all have to be aligned from a, a planning perspective in order to be more coherent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that is where the role of policy is going to be very critical in this. But related to that is how all these policies are going to be sequenced. For instance, what are we? Go- what kind of policy is going to be put in place followed by what? You know, that sequencing is something that has always lacked, especially in policy making, and is going to be critical in terms of what kind of approaches do how do we layer these policies so that they all uh, reinforce each other rather than being antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting insights. So, Joe, t- tell tell us about why energy and this entire sector is so personal for you. You know what what got you interested into this in the first place. Great question. So I was taking a class uh, when I was a graduate student at Columbia University, and that was a class which was basically general sustainability management. It was Mm -hmm. looking at all the various sectors in sustainability uh, management. And in that class, we analyzed, for instance, the transportation sector, the Mm. the energy sector, manufacturing, the food uh, and agricultural sector as well as uh, you, the use of sustainability metrics and the role of analytics in all this. And I was very intrigued in that class because the professor, you know, made it that the centrality of sustainability is actually energy. We mm. can't actually address any issues to do with sustainability and le- until we actually get to try it in the energy sector. Mm. That got me intrigued because in a, initially I thought that, you know, all these sectors 
were you know of equal weight with respect to sustainability uh, assessment as well as their role in in this area and that actually got me uh, into digging deeper in terms of understanding the role of the energy sector in addressing the issues to do with climate change, but also how can we align the engineering, the economics, as well as regulatory innovations in order to drive the changes that are actually needed uh, with respect to uh, decarbonization of the entire sector. And uh, uh, at the end of that class, I made a decision that uh, I'm going to put in more effort with respect <laughs> to uh, discovering more uh, in this sector. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, we're glad that you did so that you're here now. And we're, we're glad to have you at SAS and, uh, you know, really looking forward uh, uh, to, to learning more from you about your insights. And, you know, the, the conversion of government and policy and technology, uh, it's, it's all very, very fascinating. And it, it really, as you said, you know, there, there needs to be a, a solid understanding of all, all these legs of the stool. Um, so Joe, thank you again for joining us. I know there's a, there's a lot on your schedule as well. So thank you for making the time, uh, for our listeners. Uh, if, uh, Joe has a pretty large following on Twitter already, so you can follow him at, uh, Dr. Joe Nyangon. That's D-R-J-O-E-N-Y-A-N-G-O-N. And Joe, one last, uh, curveball for you that we've been throwing to all our guests. And that is related to this uh, electrifying AI Spotify playlist that we're building. So we'd love to know if you have any recommendations for any songs that uh, you'd like us to include in that playlist. Well, Sal, that's uh, that's the most challenging question you've asked me in this uh, interview. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think one one comes to mind: uh, Ellie Goldings' uh, oh. Power. Okay. Uh, from her new album, which she released last year, Br- uh, Brightest Blue. It has a very catchy line. Uh, it says, mindless actions lead to destruction. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it is very That can relevant. be applied in many industries too, <laughs> and also our personal lives. Absolutely. I, I think it's very relevant to the bold and immediate actionable mm-hmm. energy, as well as climate solutions, which are requ- required to implement uh, Uh, this new pledge uh, from the Biden administration. Excellent. Excellent. Well, great pick. And for our listeners, uh, we would love to hear from you. If you have any recommendations, thank you for sending the recommendations that you have been. We're still looking for more. You can tweet them to me at the electric Sal, and um, we will be glad to also send you some cool electrifying AI swag uh, along the way to give our thanks to you. So for now, this is all the time we have. Join us again. Uh, with our next episode. In the meantime, be safe, take care of yourselves, and we'll, we'll be back soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.